Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Foundations. If you've been with us summer, that we've been looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and kind of a little bit of Romans 1 and 2, 3, just going back and just kind of getting our footing again. What is foundational to the Christian faith, to how God has set up creation and how things should order and how it all fits together? Uh, so we've been just looking at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And again, if we get Genesis 1, 2, and 3 wrong, we get everything wrong. Everything through the entire Bible connects back in one way or another to what happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and God's promises for the future in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're going to be in Genesis 3 this morning. If you will find your way there in your Bible. Um, we're going to be talking about garden to graves to gardens. Now, folks, um, what we see, obviously, we're, we're going to see in chapter 3 is that we forfeited the Garden of Eden. And from that time on, mankind was pushed uh, outside the garden, right, into the world, uh, away from the presence of God. And everyone since Adam, Romans tells us that we all come into this world separated from God. There's a breach. We're, we're out of relationship and we need a redemption. We need someone to deal with sin, shame, guilt, and fear. The big things, right, and add death in there that's connected to all those um, we need a solution to that if we're willing and open to wrestle with that big question. What answers those questions? Um, so we're going to look uh, at those uh, big things this morning. But as we dive in here, let me just throw out a big question. What is your expectations coming in this morning? What is it that you expect to happen when you come to church? Um, and, and has that grown and changed over the years? Expectation is intimately connected to faith, and if it's growing or not. Um, it was A.W. Tozier, and a lot of people ask me what I read it, and uh, so I just say, boy, uh, anything by A.W. Tozier is going to be great. He was a prophet before the time. Start with the pursuit of God. It's a classic, phenomenal. Um, but he gave a sermon one time um, talking about that the, the problem in the church, that the primary problem is routine is that we just get caught in the rote things of just coming to church and never really wrestle with my expectation. Am I encountering God? Am I growing spiritually? And what I expect, because the promise is Jesus promises to be with us. He promises signs, wonders, miracles. He promises to meet us at wherever our hearts or soul, whatever we're wrestling with. He promises to engage what's going on, not just the routine. And Tozer talks about that the routine, if we get caught in there, it's not too long uh, before we, we just get into a spiritual rut, right? Anybody ever been in a spiritual rut? Might be one now. Our whole nation went into a spiritual rut because I think we handled COVID terribly. Um, it's a trial run for us. I'm talking about the church, not the nation, though that's a whole nother issue. I'm talking about the church. And once you're in a rut, then it's not too long that Tozer talks about then you start rotting. The only solution to all this is revival. It's revival. Now, I'm not talking about some huge thing. Maybe that'd be awesome somewhere. But just in your heart, my heart, in the church's heart, it starts with, man, I'm going to hold to God's word. I'm going to hold God to his promise to meet me if I'm faithful 
to step into his house. I'm not, I'm not going to go the course of culture. And I'm going to pay attention. What does Paul say? Examine yourself, church. Make sure you're in the faith. Make sure that your expectations are lined up with what God's word says. Otherwise, it's a quick path to rot, right? And so this morning, um, I want to highlight for us, especially Genesis chapter 3, this idea of elevate faith, elevate expectation, what the gospel and only the gospel can do in all the world, right, is awaken us out of the grave into the garden, right? Out of death, out of bondage, setting us free from the power of sin, shame, guilt, fear, and death, all of that. Setting our hearts free before God. Freedom. Christ came to set us free. And to bring the spirit of God inside us. Where there's fellowship. Where I'm aware of God's moving in my life. And in the church. And where I know I'm walking with him. I know I'm right with him. And, I, and I'm growing in the, the sense of holding on to his promises. I love what Tozier later says. Is he, he says the only place where routine is okay is the cemetery. Everybody's conforms in a cemetery. You can absolutely bank on what happens every day in a cemetery or a funeral, what everybody's going to do. He says this, he says, where there's growth, where there's spiritual growth, where there's faith, there's always unpredictability. Isn't that great? Take that into a church, but take that to, to anywhere in your life where there's faith, where I trust God in his word, where I'm calling upon God into my situation. It's always unpredictable what God might do. Is God going to heal? We're going to ask him if he's going to heal this situation. We're going to ask him if he's going to change this. We're going to ask him if he holds back the storm. Let's see what he's going to do. And we see that kind of faith all through, right, the scripture. I, I, I love this story of Jonathan, right? He's in with his dad, Saul. And, and Jonathan is one of the reasons why we named our son Jonathan. One of the pieces uh, the New Testament, John 2 was. And they're sitting around. They're stuck. And the Israelites are stuck. There's no faith. They're stuck in caves. They're being beaten down. And finally, he's had enough. And he says, God, all right, armor bearer, let's go up the hill. Maybe God will spark some. Maybe God will move. We need that kind of faith today in the church, right, to awaken Especially our younger generation folks that I grieve and we need to pray for in a big way because they have slid not just into rot, but into completely doing away with the Bible as being their point of authority. And they are fully locked and loaded into the current ideology of the day. And that has nothing good with it, folks. It's serious, perilous times that we live in. We need to wake up, right? And see, right, what is, what is going on. From the grave to the garden. And folks, this course is a whole Bible. But I just want to point out something here. Is that the gospel, Jesus comes along. His blood covers us. All these things are talking about. It's the only solution to these big issues in life. It's the only one. Again, I challenge you or anyone else to give me a better solution. To what's going on in the world, any of the big questions in life, questions of the heart, questions of sin, shame, and guilt. I challenge anyone, find better good news. I want to be the first to hear about it. Find a better solution that has stood the test of time throughout. But we're playing with, and we have as a nation, right, in our educational system, this idea that somehow through our science and technology and our know-how that we as man can figure it out and do it. It's back to the lie we're going to read about. It's nothing new, right, under the sun. Um, So let's exalt the name of Jesus and let's see 
right? What he has good news for us. He knows, folks, right now, whatever your questions are, whatever you're going, we're struggling with, whatever you're thinking about, what's ever going on in your family, your world is the God of the universe. He knows and he only knows what's going on inside your soul. Nothing can be hidden from him. And he's longing with open arms. He is gentle and waiting and kind and patient for each of us to run fully right, to him. Right. So, Father, we ask now, before we read your word, Lord, I pray you would shock us, rock us, Lord. Stir us up, Lord, to be hungry, Lord, again, for your word. This is your word. This is life-changing. This is the Logos that spoke the earth into creation, God. Rock us, Lord. Out of this complacent rut, Lord. Father, just stir our inner being, Lord. Lord, you say in Jeremiah 23 that your word is like a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks up rocks. Lord, I ask you to come now that your word as we read it, Lord, that it would come, Lord, like a fire. Like a hammer, God. Stir up, Lord, break up the hard soil of our soil, Lord. To see you for who you are, Lord, and your goodness, your mercy, your forgiveness, Lord, your hope, Lord, you're, you're so good, God. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 3. Here we go. We're diving in. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Um, So uh, you can write down Romans 16, you can write Revelation 12, Revelation 20. The rest of the Bible makes very clear that what we're talking about here is Satan himself. There's a real devil, there's a real spiritual battle, spiritual realm that impacts the physical realm. And um, somewhere along the way is the, uh, the cosmic we know in different places in the Bible that Satan fell. He got prideful. He was given free will. And he was in that you know, glorified position to be the, uh, the cherubim that led worship before God. And in Isaiah 14, he fell right from that. Some point in here, Job talks about the angels being watching as God. Jesus was speaking creation into place. Somewhere in there is that there was this fall from heaven and this darkness right that entered into um into god's creation and here we see that god actually or that the enemy actually satan um comes and starts his corrupting work right in god's garden and he comes to the woman he says did god actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden john chapter 8 in the new testament is satan is the father of lies he's the great deceiver Right? And behind every temptation any of us have is this lie. Is, is ultimately behind it, it starts with deception. Wait, did God really say? And isn't that where, what's got us? This is what's going on with many today. right? In, in, with all of our cultural questions we're wrestling with. Wait a minute, did God really say? Does the Bible really address that issue in our culture? And, um, and that just opens a crack for the enemy to flood in and bring deception and the bondage, right, that comes with lie. And what we see in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted, folks, and he held perfectly, he did not give a crack to the enemy. 
He didn't give a crack of, oh, I wonder if God's word is accurate. I wonder if God has this down. He immediately shot back with the temptation from the enemy with the word of God. And folks, for all of us, this is a time where we must, right, equip our young people, equip ourselves again. Is this our authority? Is this the place that we are going to hold on to? Um, Because you open a crack and the enemy floods in and brings great confusion. And folks, we live in a time of greater confusion than ever, ever before. And it is the reason for the great anxiety, the great fear, all things going on that somehow we think is mankind that we can fix. When God's arms are open wide, he's saying, just come to me. I'm the only answer that you have right for this. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. It's half truths. Right, the deceiver always comes with half-truths, just kind of enough to lure somebody in. But it's just a, a deception there, right? Because remember when Adam and Eve sinned here, we're getting ready to get to it. They didn't immediately drop dead. Poof, lightning from God didn't like wipe them out immediately, right? And, and here's the important part. When God said, if you, Adam, if you, you can have free reign of this entire thing. You got one tree to stay away from. And you got one tree that you need to protect your wife from and everybody else from. Don't eat of that tree. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, only, only one, right, do, do you have to stay a- away from uh, that, to that, that tree, lest you die. And the important thing here to understand is all through the Bible, death ultimately it leads to physical death. But the real important part is not so much the physical death. It's our soul. It's a spiritual death. A death to relationship with God. That's where we really need to focus. That's the question we all should be talking about in life. Not so much how to prolong my physical life. What did Jesus say? You can gain the entire world. But what if you forfeit your soul? And folks, today, we are in a, in a big lopsided focus on extending our physical life, but not focusing on our spiritual life. Is my soul right with God, right? And um, he goes on, he says... You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Sound familiar? Knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make wise, she took of its truth. Now folks, I just write down 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and John just takes this whole thing. This is how sin works. It begins with the lust of the eyes. Ooh, that looks good. I need to buy that. I need to have that. I need to, right, sucks us in. And then we see desire and flesh well up, and then there's moving into the taking of it. This is just how temptation works. And uh, we all can relate, right, to that process. And so she took some, and... Um, And she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. Now why is the first thing? Boom. As soon as they disobeyed God. What's the. Why why is the first thing that you hear them realize is. Whoa. We got shame. Man, the breach, as soon as that breach of relationship happens with God is the awareness of shame. And I throw it your way. Why are you wearing clothes this morning? And you laugh. 
But do you realize that this is a pretty important question? Why do you wear clothes? And why if somebody doesn't wear clothes in public, why is that not appropriate? When the knowledge of good and evil, especially evil here, comes to a human that's now out of fellowship with God, we have nothing, we don't know what to do with evil. It overwhelms it with sin, shame, guilt, and fear, and the fear of death. And again, I throw to you, in all of the world, and right now, right today, is who has a solution for that? Right? Who has a real solution for this shame? Who can explain why we wear clothes? Sounds silly. But there's something very profound underneath all of that. That sets the course of right, all of history, right? We'll come back to that in just a second. Now listen to this, verse 8. And they heard, and they didn't make very good clothes. Fig leaves, I mean, really? Um, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I want you to hear something. This is the last time that Adam and Eve heard this sound of God walking in their midst. I ask you, do you know the sound of God? Do you know when God is present in your life? Do you know that that is the new creation? Some important things to see here is that when it says the cool of the day, that Hebrew word is ruach. It's the word for wind. It's the word in the New Testament used for the Spirit of God. What happened when God's presence came down and started the church in the book of Acts, chapter 2 at Pentecost? When God came back to dwell with his people in the church, it was like a mighty, what? Rushing wind. And everybody knew that God was with us. And to be a follower of Jesus, it requires, it, it, the very fundamental nature of it we, we see in the New Testament is to be spirit people. People who know that the wind, the ruach, the pneuma of God is in their soul. They can sense the spirit of God among them. Unless we're stuck in routine, in rut. And rotting. And then we don't, we're not slowly bothered by, man, when's the last time I sensed the presence of God? All the New Testament talks about walking with God. Man, what does that look like? Do you know how to walk with God? You know, that's the course of discipleship. That's why we plead with you. Please, get with somebody. Ask us to help you. To get with someone to start in discipleship, learn what it is to walk with God, to sense the presence of God, to know the filling of the Spirit of God in your soul, right? Man, there's so much here. But look how God responds. Where are you? In fact, I just want to point out the gentleness of God. Not like a lightning bolt. You die. Gentleness. Adam. And by the way, he goes to Adam. Where are you? What a gentle. And folks, I just, I want to highlight that. God 
is gentle. He doesn't lightning bolt us right after we sin. He's patient and he's kind because he desires us to come out of hiding and be covered by the blood of Jesus. Be renewed. That's what the gospel's all about. Right? And so a question we all have to answer, where are you? Why are you hiding from God? And folks, do we all could give testimony of running from God and hiding from God, right? Doesn't sin, doesn't shame, doesn't guilt, it makes me, we just want to hide, right? And try to get some fig leaves, right? And isn't it interesting, just, just a little side note about physical clothes, how that we cover up so much with what we wear and how we present ourselves. Superficiality. Folks, this is not just, just happens. This, is, this all flows right to the core of the truth of God, the foundation, right, what God is, has laid right in, in his word. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you. Adam says, in the garden, I was afraid. Well, what, where did that fear come from? Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, wait, who told you that you are naked? And then he goes on, he says, um, have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? And the man said, and here it is, it's so classic, folks, here we go, the blame game, that woman's fault. You gave her to me, she led me astray, she deceived me. Right? I mean, do we not, you know? Um, and it's not a, a funny thing, folks, because you know what, that's why... We have marriage problems. It's your fault. It's your fault, Michelle. Not my fault. I don't need to work on anything. It's your fault. (laughs) However, most of the time it comes back that it is my fault. But anyway, (laughs) at least that's what everybody thinks. But that's deep water, right? It's deep water. It's a woman. You gave her. It's her fault. Now look, it goes on. (laughs) And Eve does the same thing. Right? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent, it's his fault. Right? The devil made, and this is where that comes from. The devil made me do it. Yeah. Right? The devil didn't make you do anything. The devil deceived you. And you know, I can never, nobody's ever going to stand before God. And this is our responsibility problem in our culture today. We've got to teach the next generations what responsibility. Because one day is, I can never, we all will stand before the Lord. And I can never stand there. Nothing I can never turn and go, oh, but Lord, that family situation. Lord, we cannot blame anyone, any situation in our life. I stand before God. I give full responsibility for all my... I cannot say somebody made me do something or because of my situation. I cannot play the victim before God. We got to get rid of that in our culture. Victimization will never lead anyone to breakthrough or health. Right? And this is pretty clear right here. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this... Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. Death you shall eat. This is all imagery, folks, of something deeper. All the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Talking about the messianic line. Talking about the spiritual warfare, right, that is going to and has entered right into the world. 
Um, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Romans 16 talks about the conquering, crushing of the head of, sin, of, of Satan by Jesus' cross and his resurrection. To the woman, he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be, it's a powerful word there, by the way, for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In other words, this harmony of, of your roles perfectly in complementary. Now, right, what's going to happen in marriage, there's going to be this struggle of working out, right, our roles that God has properly given us. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Um, I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Um, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for Eve, listen to this, garments of skins and clothed them. God covered them. It's the first sacrifice by the blood. Don't miss this. Leviticus says that there's life in the blood. There is, Hebrews tells us there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And folks, the power in the blood of Christ to wash and cover us so we can be right with him in all of my sin, all my shame, all my guilt, all my fear, washed by the blood of Christ. There's something so profound. This is back to the beginning of the creation of the universe. There's something profound here, folks. Right, that God is trying to tell us. That cuts right through, connects this. There's no book, by the way, anywhere close in all the world, through all antiquity, that even comes anywhere close to this right here. Because this is the word of the living God. Right? Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. In other words, in separation from God. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from where he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim of the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And again, folks, the new garden that we see in the book of Revelation, well, throughout all scripture, but ultimately in the end of the Bible, right, it has no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It only has the tree of life because Jesus' cross, that tree that he hung on, wiped away for all eternity, ever again, and he turned to the opportunity of rebellion. It secures the assurance of our salvation for all eternity in a new and better garden and presence of God, right, where we walk and talk with him again. And so, folks, just to highlight this idea of from garden to a grave, it is God's intent. None of this surprised him. He had an eternal covenant he had already made within the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to redeem us, to redeem this earth, right? He didn't want robots. He wanted people with free will. How are you going to have a free will person that can make their own choice who's always going to choose to take that forbidden fruit? How are you going to redeem a person like that to be in the presence of a holy God? There's only one answer. 
It's the death. It's the burial of Jesus. Whereby his spirit enters in. To this broken. Sinful life. Right. Now a couple of things this morning. I'm just going to give you stuff to keep the conversation going. Go out to lunch. Dive in. Talk to others. Call us. Let's gather coffee. Start discipleship. Get in a small group. Whatever it is. But we have to understand some of these themes here. And how they so profoundly have defined the history and the world and humankind. And there's three primary cultures. And if you're a missionary, this is missiology 101. If you uh, and we all are missionaries, by the way. If we're going to uh, talk to people about Jesus, you've got to understand these three things. There is either a shame-honor culture, there's a sin-guilt culture, and there's power and fear culture. Uh, the biblical times in the Middle East still to this day is a shame-honor culture. And it permeates through all, even Muslim territories, out east, China, some other places. You know, you, you know, we hear the shock, like, wow, you know, in a Muslim you know, village, how the, the shame killing, right? That how could a, a one uncle kill his own relative? Simply because you have to cleanse the shame to get honor in the family. And it permeates many, many cultures in the world. It is what permeated the only way to understand the New Testament, folks, is to read it, understanding this is, Jesus is walking among a shame and honor culture. And that also defined a Jewish culture as well, right? Even in our own culture or community here with with Jewish people. But the next one is the sin and guilt. And as time went on, I'll just jump ahead to America. We were founded, obviously, um, on Christian principles or anything. We were a sin um, guilt culture for many, many of the first part of our being. In other words, you had revivals, the church was, was thriving, and, and you talked to people about their sin and the forgiveness of Jesus, right? And, and the, the freedom of guilt, and, and people talked about sin. Um, but we are long past that, folks. We are now deep in a power-fear culture. And so here's just a little insight, right? Is who really wants to talk about sin today? You talk about sin today, guess who you look at? You're looked at like, well, you're, you're judgmental, right? That's our word. You're, you're intolerant, you're judgmental, right? Is most people, and especially our younger generation, has no capacity to deal with either of those top two. They've only been trained in higher education, everything, with a power fear. In other words, the idea of power is, I'm all we got. I can do it myself. We as humankind, we can save the planet. We can save this, do this, and do everything. Power now is what mankind can do through science and technology and our own willing, right? But here's the key, is it's a fear culture, is that people are under fear, right? They don't talk about sin, they don't talk about, about shame, but they can't now. now it's, it's what I do with this fear, what I do with this anxiety. Are those things ramping up in our culture? Highest levels we've ever seen anywhere in all time. People are fearful. And so out of the love of God, this is what gives you insight to understand this is how to talk to people. Go right there, right? Don't talk about sin and guilt. Get to the, the heart of the matter. Tell me, man, what, is, what are you fearful for? Hey, tell me, what's your authority? How, how do you think we can change and make things better? Right? Sadly, right? Um, we're talking to more and more people who maybe grew up at one time in the church, but they will simply say today, culture is my authority. The ideology today is my authority, not the word of God, right? Does that make sense, gang? I just gave you 10 minutes of like a whole year class, right? But this is just important to understand. Hey, take it, test it. You go to any culture today, Rick and Colleen are serving Kathmandu. Which one of those is that? Exactly, shame and honor. It's a Muslim context. And if you don't know that, 
And this is even in relationship with somebody. If you don't know, and it's a great exercise just to find out where they're coming from. Where, what realm are they in, right? And you quickly take that to know how to move towards the gospel, the solution, right? And the gospel is the solution for all of us, obviously. All right. Here we go. Folks, there's five ways that we can respond, right, to this, to the fall. If you've heard this t- terminology, Genesis 3 is the fall all throughout Scripture. It's where Adam and Eve forfeited the garden and it impacted the rest of history and all of our lives, right? From Adam, book of Romans tells us in chapter 5, Paul says, because Adam sinned, we all sinned. You say, what? He's our federal head. It flows down from him. That's why he's held responsible, right, for that. Because, you know, here's the reality. We would do the exact same thing. And guess what? We have. We have. We all have taken the, unforbid, the forbidden fruit. We've all done it. We've all made a choice to reject God's promise and go our own way, the way of the world, right? Therefore, we all stand before the base of the cross, all needing the grace of God, all needing the forgiveness of God. The same. This is the only options people have. I can do what Adam and Eve did. I can deny. I can deny my sin, my shame, my guilt, my fear. I can deny it. And guess what? Modern psychology, that's what they're telling you. We should get rid of religion. This whole discussion of shame and guilt, just get rid of that. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You can try as long as you want. You will never get rid of it. It might take a different form. You're never going to get rid of it. So you can deny it all day long. You can cover it up. You can cover it up, man. You can get busy in the world. You can put on some nice clothes. You know, you can do a number on that fig leaf. And uh, you can just cover it up, right? And we can do things in our lives, right? And we've all done this, haven't we? We've messed up or we, we, dis, you know, we did something, whatever it is. And, and we try to make up for it. We try to just cover it up rather than go to God, right? And get, get forgiveness. And uh, boy, that holds us back when we try to do that, right? Justify it. Well, this is exactly what we, this is the blame game, right? Is that not what we see in our culture? Who's taking responsibility for anything today? We've taught our children to be victims. We've taught our children it's somebody else. Yeah, it's mom and dad's fault. Oh, it's your, it's your environment. You weren't privileged enough, right? That's your problem, right? So we need to fix that, right? I could go down the list of everything. To, it's a blame game. Blaming someone else or my circumstances will never, ever do me any good. Because I can never do that before God. Ever. But I can try. The final one, folks, is a couple chapters later in Genesis where they just full on embrace the disgrace. And they just flaunt sin. They just flaunt, right, the very things that are abomination to God. We're deep in. We're deep in. Just flaunt. There is no shame. I'm going to flaunt my shame. Right? And so... It, it, this is silly, but just impurity, nudity, that's just flaunting shame, right? This, this is nothing new. This is back to the beginning of the Bible. It explains it, right? That's just flaunting my shame because I have embraced it as my identity. And folks, that's terrible bondage. There's a solution. The final one is the solution. Or I can trust Jesus. I can trust him. He'll come and do great things. Make you a new creation. Doesn't matter again where you've been. Doesn't matter if you've been flaunting sin at the grossest whatever level we want to define. And we've all. Remember, nobody stands before the Lord not guilty. Right? But his arms. 
that are big enough to get around the entire world. And there's no darkness. There's no running and hiding from God. There's no flaunting of sin. That the glorious grace of God doesn't renew. Completely heal and restore. That's awesome. That's why it's called good news, right? All right. One final thing here. I'm going to skip. Oh, no, I'm not. Ooh, I'm not skipping that. I almost did that first service. Okay, I just want to exalt our Lord just for a minute through his word. Folks, memorize this passage. I've been just so just caught up in this passage. Last Sunday night, I think it was Lee at at Outpost, he brought this up uh, in light of our discussion last Sunday. But folks, listen to this. Because sometimes we read Genesis and we think, where was Jesus? This is God. And we like separate, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is awesome. He is. Jesus is. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. And think about this. He was walking and talking with us in history again. Oh, that's the heart of God. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk and talk with you. He and only he has provided the way right for that. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, unvisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's the logos from John. He's the one who spoke all this. He spoke you into being. He is the creator. That is Jesus. That is who God is. He also created Satan. And all the powers and dominions that one day fell. He didn't create evil. He created the capacity with free will for evil. I'll leave that for you to talk about. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's fully God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see how that, that fits? That first animal sacrifice, it just, it just put some clothes on Adam and Eve. It did not restore Eden to them. There's only one blood that can do that. And his name is Jesus. The one who did all this is the one who bled, came, walked on this, took on human form to bleed for you. Right? To bleed for me. Folks, it's time, it's the church that we, we, we get rattled out of our just, oh, I've heard the gospel before. Oh, I've been to church before. Oh, I've heard Genesis before. And realize, wow, what a mighty God he is. Man, and it, And how gracious he is. And what a journey to walk with him, right? So I have a final, just some questions here. I'm going to pass over Tozier, though. I really would love to camp out on Tozier. Please go read. He's awesome. But folks, here we go. I'm going to end with this. Four questions we all have to answer from God. No one's going to escape these questions. You can answer them now, or you can answer them in the future. I would suggest sooner rather than later. Where are you? God's asking every one of you, where are you? And folks, this is a really awesome question to engage anyone with. Hey, why are you hiding from God? 
Why are you hiding from God? You really think that this world's going to satisfy you? Do you really think all this ideology, all this freedom and just going after the thing? Do you really think all of that? Do you think everything that we're voting in and talking about as a culture, does anybody really think that's going to be good for anybody? Show me how it has been. Anywhere in the history past, anywhere presently. It will only bring judgment and destruction. Why are you hiding from God? He's got abundant life. That's the problem. He's got abundant life for you. Right? Who told you you were naked? It's like, what? It's a great question. Right? What do you do with your sin, your shame, your guilt, and your fear? What are you doing with those things? Can't get rid of them. We just talked about You can deny them all day long. They ain't going away. Every one of us knows deep in our soul. These are things that set deep in our heart. They're deep within us who we are. What we've done, and, and they, we, we can, oh, I mean, again, why is there addictions? Why do people drink? Why do people get high? There's only one reason. They're trying to cover up the shame, the sin, the fear. They're trying to numb themselves from having to deal with the real issues of the heart. There's no other answer for that. None. There's one great solution. It's available for everybody though, right? Man, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now here's where I've got to come to reality. Folks, there is no salvation without repentance. There's no meeting and coming to God without brokenness and full ownership of my sin. My guilt, my sin and shame. I have to own it and I have to bring it to God and say, you're right, Lord, I've taken that fruit. I, I've, I mean, let's go down the list of things, right? I've done this. I've done that. I've rejected you here. I've gone my way here. I, on and on and on. Lord, I lay it before you. Only the cross, only by the blood of Jesus is it covered. <laughs> Cleansed. But only if I bring it to the Lord in brokenness and repentance. Where's that today? Where is owning sin and repentance, brokenness before God, where is that in the church today? Without that, there will be no manifest presence of God. I'm going to say it again. Without repentance, without an owning of my sin, there will be no manifest presence of God. He will stay removed because that tells him I got this, God. I got this. I can do it on my own. I don't need you, right? And the final one is the best one. I throw it to you this morning. Will you allow him to cover you? It's a free gift, folks. Will you allow him to cover you? By the blood of his son, Jesus. Will you allow that? Do you know how to do that? Have you done that? There's nothing like it in all of the world. Right? For a soul to genuinely cover me. Cover me. And to know that you're covered. And that you can stand before the Lord, not because of your righteousness, not because of my righteousness, but only by the blood of Jesus. 
Isaiah says he's robed us with his righteousness. What? That's why Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, was so overwhelmed in Romans. Like, why? There's a righteousness that comes outside of the law. For a religious person, this is shocking. That's why they wanted to kill him. It doesn't matter all your law keeping. What matters is do you know him? He will bring his righteousness freely to you that your status, your identity as a child of God based on what Jesus has done, your faith in him, not all my efforts. Wow. Folks, I challenge you. If you can find anything better than that, you bring it. If not, I challenge you, go after those questions. Go after those questions. What needs to be restored in the church is regular testimonies of God's manifest presence moving among us, taking graves in darkness and turning them into gardens. All right. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. And, Lord, the power of the gospel. Lord, Jesus, who you are, we just lift you up. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Do what only you can do, Lord. No preacher, no teaching, nothing, Lord. No great music, no great spiritual efforts. Come and do what only you can do, God. Be with us. Move in the hearts, our hearts. Yeah, Lord, let no one leave here, God. Without doing business with you. Deep in their soul, Lord. Mm, Lord, let them, let us all, Lord, be overwhelmed by your kindness and your love, Lord. Man, your forgiveness. Lord, why? Why would we want to carry that sin? Why would we want to carry that shame? Why would we want to carry that guilt, that fear? Set us free, Lord. Let's be a church. Lord, that you delight to walk in our midst, God. That we feel, Lord, that movement, God, of your spirit. Yeah, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.